Uh, good morning, everybody. I didn't even have to tell you guys to be seated. You're such pros, such seasoned churchgoers. I hope everybody at home stayed seated. But we are diving into Philippians chapter two, but before we do, did you guys hear the announcement this week from the mayor's office that on May the 14th, the uh, city of Nashville is lifting all its COVID restrictions except for wearing masks inside. And that means we are coming back. Yeah, that's it. Some of you are not cheering because you're thinking, is everybody coming back? Like there may be some I don't wanna come back. And it's odd, let's talk about that just for a minute because, uh, I mean, it's gonna be exciting. I have dreamed for 420 days about the parties that I wanna throw. I've already figured out how to hang a disco ball from the center of our chapel. Oh yeah, it's gonna be crazy. Kevin and his musicians have already been working on their earth, wind, and fire tunes. We are gonna shake it for the Lord, trust me. And so we have a lot of hope for when we come back. But let's just pause for a minute because we have to acknowledge that coming back may feel a little strange because some people that are coming back, and maybe this includes you, this has been the best year of your life. Like, you have spent so much time with your family, you've you've fallen back in love with your spouse, or you love hanging out with your roommate, or you've learned solitude, you've learned how to foster this thing called prayer and time with God. it's re, it's inju, reinjuvenate, wait, what? Reinvigorated you, yes, and you feel very much alive and you're kind of sad. There's a little bit of a grief that this is over and we're coming back. But hey, you're in a community and there's some people at Midtown that are like, this has been the hardest year of their lives. This has been a year where uh, it's been really a struggle to be isolated and quarantined from the things that have given you life. Um, and they may wanna come back, they may not wanna come back. You know, we've had a lot of new people join Midtown. What is it gonna be like for them when they haven't seen the hordes that flood into this building on Sunday morning, the pre-COVID hordes? Do you know that there have been people in our community that have had babies that you haven't seen yet? Like, we're talking COVID babies. Like, they got pregnant when COVID started. They've had a baby and that baby's walking, talking, and <laughs> has a job as a barista down on 12 South. Do you think that it's possible that coming back could be incredible for some people, and for some people it's not incredible? Yeah? Do you think that it's possible to come back and have this pocket full of expectations and this pocket full of hope, and you show up and somebody is seating, sitting in your seat? I know, Dave, that is your seat, man. We give it to you. We're gonna spray paint your name on it. I mean, think about this, that you come back and, and like, is it possible for somebody to come back and see somebody they haven't seen for a year and then it stings them that I thought we were friends and I didn't even hear from you all year long? Do you think that's possible? Do you think it's possible to be so self-centered that you don't think, well, I didn't reach out to you for a whole year either? Is it possible that we could come back and you see people that you miss that used to be in your small group and you're all over here in the corner of the sanctuary and you're huddled up and right outside your circle are other people that aren't in your huddle and they start to feel left out? Is that possible? Is that possible for people to come back with so much hope that this is gonna be incredible 
only to leave hurt. You show up with your kids and you can't get your kids into kid town, that hurts. You show up and there's not much room. You see me up here and you go, he didn't call me for 420 days. I heard he grew tomatoes in his backyard and I didn't get a tomato. You can have all my tomatoes, by the way. Can you imagine that? Is this a safe place? Is Midtown a safe place coming back out of pandemic? Is this a safe place where are all the people that walk in here feel like I'm loved here? And people walk in and go, I feel I belong here. Is that possible? Well, I don't think it's an accident because we believe in a sovereign God that the passage that we're gonna talk about today is Paul actually talking to a community about how to do community and how to build a place that where we're loved and we build a place where we belong, where we're nurtured and we're caring for one another. So, uh, Elise, come on up. How long has it been since you've read for us? Say that in the moment. How long has it been? It's been over a year. Awesome. So to commemorate your coming back, could you read the passage in an Irish accent, maybe? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay, all right. all right. Hey, before she reads this, I, I want you to, before you hear what she's about to say, um, she's reading in chapter two, verses one through four. But if you go back to chapter three, listen to what Paul says in verse 29. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. He's speaking to a community that's been through it. They've been through the fire. They've been struggling. And because they've been struggling, he's about to say what we're about to hear, which is great for us because we've been struggling and we've been suffering and this community has taken hits. And how do we come out? Paul's about to tell us. Here's Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Thank you. Okay, we're about to have some fun because in these four verses are hand grenades that if you went to go live them, you would be like, oh, this is gonna mess a lot of stuff up. But here's the fun that we're gonna have. I'm gonna do something that no preacher has ever done. I promise you, you've never seen it. I'm gonna preach this entire sermon in 60 seconds. Okay, so I need a timer so somebody needs to get out your phone, I need you to time me, all right? Who's gonna do it? Warren, all right? And here's, be kind to me, okay, Warren? So, because I have no concept of time because I preach for a living. Uh, here's what I need you to do. When, like, in 30 seconds, after 30 seconds come out, you gotta shout out 30 seconds. Give it to me, all right, try it. 30 seconds. That's great, all right, okay. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready, I'm ready. All right, Warren, tell me, so this whole passage starts with the word if, and what he's talking about is Jesus. He says if Jesus has given you any courage in your life, has he given you any comfort in your life, and he's given you any fellowship in your life, that's like saying if you go to Las Vegas to the buffet and say if there's any food there, eat. It's ridiculous. He's saying Jesus has given you tons of that stuff. He's filled your life with that stuff. Now take that into Midtown Fellowship, into your community. 
And when you take it into this community, you know what this is gonna look like in community? We're gonna be one mind, one love, one spirit. All right, and he says, but then there's a problem, and the problem is you. You're the problem that keeps us from being this. So how do we cure the problem? It's very simple. It's a value issue. And the value issue is value others more than yourself. Which, by the way, guess what? That's impossible. So how do we do it? We run to Jesus. That's the whole sermon. Ooh, I had nine seconds left. So let me take the next 45 minutes to tell you <laughs> what I would have said in those nine seconds. Because that's the whole four verses that Paul said. So can we take a few minutes and take it apart? And <laughs> why don't we start... Why don't we start here? Because right here, where Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, by having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. So Paul is just encouraging us that, hey, Midtown, you are the ones that are loved. You know that. Midtown, you are the ones that have the spirit of Jesus dwelling inside of you. You know that. Hey, Midtown, we have the mind of Christ. Like, write this down. This is in 1 Corinthians, and this is chapter one. This is verse eight. Listen to what Paul says about this mind of Christ that we have. None of the rulers of this age understood Jesus. For if they had, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, no eye has ever seen, no, or what, let me start over. What no eye has ever seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God that he has prepared for those who love him. But these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. At the end of that chapter, he says, who's known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That is who we are. We are the people that are loved. We are the people that have the spirit of God. We are the people that have been given the mind of Christ. We've been given revelation to where we can understand ourselves in this world. And so Paul is saying, Midtown Fellowship, live like that. I mean, think about that. Could you imagine we're coming out of the pandemic and somebody new walks in here and what they experience is, this is an amazing, loving community. Like, not only do you guys love each other, and it's obvious, you love me. You see me. Imagine a brand new person walking in and this community sees them and cares about them being here. They're thankful that they're here. They value their children. They value this life that they're bringing into this campus and this building. Imagine us having a community here that's filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? You know, is it, are we all running around with a dose of the ghost? What is being filled with the Spirit? Well, what's the fruits of the Spirit? If you don't know what those are, go, go research this afternoon. Imagine a community that's full of patience and peace and kindness and all the fruits of the Spirit are being on display here as a community and we value those things as a community. Imagine us being a community of people that when you walk in and coming out of the pandemic, that we are a community of people that are thriving to be mature. Mature how? That, that we are mature spiritually obviously, in understanding the spirit, but we're also mature emotionally, that we've grown emotionally and we're growing emotionally, that we're maturing relationally, that we want to learn how to be loved and how to love and that we're, we're growing socially. How do we love this city? It'd be beautiful, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be fantastic? 
we wouldn't have enough seats in this building. We don't have enough seats in this building as it is. You know, but, I mean, you wouldn't be able, we'd have to blow it out. Like, we'd have to start meeting in the parking lot again like we did at Easter. So what, why don't we? Why does, why do people come here and not experience that here at Midtown Fellowship? And Paul tells us the answer to this. It's because of you. You're the problem here. Should I end the sermon now? <laughs> Look at verse three. Go back. Because Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Now, when he says do nothing, he's not giving a recommendation. He's not our life coach. He's not trying to say, you know, it'd be so much better in your life if you didn't. He's commanding us. He's giving us a command here because he's trying to get us to take this very seriously. And the reason is, is because when we live out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, it undermines the kind of community that we're building here. The kind of way that we as a community are coming out of the pandemic. So, what is that? So uh, we had Kirk Atkinson who preached here. He's a pastor over on the north side of town. And I don't know if you remember this, but he preached on the fact that he's addicted to himself. He said, I'm just addicted to me. I can't get enough of me. I'm always thinking about me. He even said, and I wrote this down in my journal when I was taking notes. He said, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. <laughs> I love that. And we are, we're addicted to us. We're so consumed with ourselves. We're so consumed with what we want. We're so consumed with what we think we need. We're so consumed with our lives. So some of you know that I was on this motorcycle trip this week and uh, we were coming back in town on Wednesday when the rain showers were coming in. So we could tell it was about to pour down raining and we pulled into Starbucks. We're, like, we're just gonna wait it out because rain and motorcycles, you may not know this, the pro tip, they're not good, all right? You get wet. So we go into the Starbucks and all the tables are taped off because of the pandemic. And I go up to the barista and I said, hey, we're on motorcycles. You can tell it's about to pour down. You, you mind if we just sit down in here and wait out the storm? And she goes, well, they kicked us out into the rain. I said, wait a minute, you're, what? You, rain? And here's what offended me. It wasn't corporate America. That's offensive, all right? Here's what offended me. You're not for me as much as I am for me. I would never do this to me. I would never do this to me, and you're doing it to me. I'm offended that you don't value me as much as I value me. And just think about it. I mean, let's just pause for a minute and just think about it. We're, we're born this way. If you don't have little children or you've never been around little children, they're sweet in photographs, but they're incredibly selfish people. I'm gonna tell you, a newborn could care less that you're asleep in the middle of the night. If they're hungry, they're gonna wake up the whole house. They are me, 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 me. And it doesn't get much better as they start getting older. I mean, are there any parents here that can give me testimony? Do I hear, do I hear an amen somewhere? I mean, have you ever heard your child say, mine? You probably haven't, have you? It's just natural, it flows out of them, so we're born into it, so let's pause and ask what is selfish ambition? The word that Paul is using here, let me geek out a little bit on Greek here, it's a word that is, it's erethia, and erethia is, is a word that 
that when you go back and study that word, it's kind of morphed over time. And Erethia began um, centuries before Paul uses it here to describe somebody that's a day laborer, that a farmer would go and hire somebody from the marketplace to come in and just do one day's of work in the field or during harvest. And so the Erethia was just somebody who worked a day. And then, then it began to morph into the kind of worker that didn't really care about their work. All they really cared about is the paycheck that it wasn't a worker who was invested in the quality of their work, it was just the guy, look, look, just throw me out there, I'll do something just as long as I get paid at the end of the day. So this word started sliding down the hill and then it became something else. It, got, it kinda started getting used as politicians who ran for political office and wanted to hold political office, not because they cared about the people, but just because they wanted to have power influence, and money. So if you were called an Erethea as a politician, it was an insult to you because it just showed that, that all you care about is you. Then it morphed just a little bit more and it morphed into describing political parties. Political parties that had a, had a bipartisan approach to how they viewed every issue that they didn't care about anybody else. All they cared about was their agenda, what they were trying to achieve, their view of the truth, their understanding of the world, and what they were gonna do, even if it was on stepping on your back. What Paul was doing was he was using a word that described this mentality of all that matters to me is me. It's a picture of somebody who no longer listens but only fights to be heard. It's the picture of someone who no longer seeks to understand, but only fights to be understood. It's the picture of somebody who has no compromise, but will only fight to win and gain ground for themselves. People that are no longer seeking to be loving, but only seeking to be loved. Erethea. That sounds familiar. That's, you smell it. You smell it in the culture that we live in? All the tribes that are, that are separating themselves, the walls that are going up. Could you imagine watching a presidential debate? Like, just imagine this, that they're debating, and you've seen debates, some crazy debates. Could you imagine a politician stopping and going, you know, what you just said is fascinating. That's amazing. I don't know if I've ever thought about it that way. Could we just pause and let you talk about that a little bit more? <laughs> you never see that. Why? Because this selfish ambition is so ingrained in our culture that we would be shocked by that. We would be shocked by somebody. Right, let me give you a, real, a better. Next time you're in a fight with your spouse, here's what I'd like for you to do. Fight for them. I know, that sounds crazy, doesn't it? That the next time you're in a fight with your spouse, go over emotionally, relationally, maybe even physically to their side and go, yeah! And fight for their victory in that fight. Well, then it wouldn't be a fight. That's no fun. That's how ingrained selfish ambition is in us. You never do that. Because we're so right when we fight for ourselves. And Paul is saying, hey, don't squeeze that out. Don't 
hey, try, not, try to do 20%. Paul's saying do nothing from that place. Nothing. That's a poisonous place. That place works against the very thing that Jesus has done in our lives. Okay. Boy, it's longer than nine seconds, isn't it? And vain conceit. You know what vain conceit is? Vain conceit is seeking a glory that's not glory at all. It's vain. It's a vain glory. It's an empty glory. It's, 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 let's just think about this. How much of our lives are wrapped around trying to get a glory that's no glory at all? Like Sean Sears. Y'all know who Sean Sears is? You know who knows who Sean Sears is? Sean Sears. He knows who Sean Sears is. Sean Sears is the national champion, national champion of rocks, paper, scissors. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? I don't know Sean, I don't know his story, but could you imagine Sean dedicating himself for two years, eight hours a day, to become the national champion of rock, paper, scissors? That he's in the gym, you know, you know with weights. He's doing that every day. He's analyzing all the schematics of all the plays that have been made over the years of national championships with what did scissors win? How much did rocks win? Could you imagine him dedicating himself just to hoist the trophy of rocks, papers, and scissors? We would all kind of chuckle. And we'd say, it's completely random, Sean. Relax, man, go live your life. But how much of that do we do? I mean, think about that. We actually live in a culture that says how you look is beauty. No, that's a lie. That's not beauty. Go to Proverbs 31. But we, we buy into this fake glory that how you look, how much you weigh, what you got on, that's beauty. We also... <laughs> We actually believe that if you have lots of money, you're wealthy. It's a lie. It's just not true. Lots of money is a vainglory. It's just a tool. Some of you, God's given a ton of it, and he goes, use it. It's a tool I've given you. Some of you have not been given much of it. God, that's, that's my gift to you too. Now go use that. But we, in a, we live in a world that's saying if you have lots of money, that means you're wealthy. But we're the ones with the mind of Christ. We know that's not true. Some of us believe that if you're the top of your field that makes you successful, that is a lie. I saw a lot of successful people the other day when their little kids ran up to them and called them mom and daddy. We know that because we have the mind of Christ. Some of us actually believe that if we have fame, that equals being loved. That if enough people affirm me and like me, then that means I'm loved. But we have the mind of Christ and what Paul is saying, that's an empty glory, that's a vain glory. Don't let any of your life come from that place. Okay, you tracking with me? Okay, I promise you, nine seconds, all right? So you got a big problem, it's you, and here's the cure, it's a value question. Look here, let's go back to the passage. Rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. We have a value problem that we're to value other people more than ourselves. And this is, just be careful, Paul is not saying, hey guys, come on, quit being so selfish. Come on, share, we need to share. This isn't Paul looking down on us and patting us on the head and saying, be nice. No, he's saying to us, 
Let nothing in your life come from, from these two places, selfish ambition and vain conceit. Don't let any of your life come from those places. Instead, I want you to value other people more than yourself. And this takes a lot of maturity, and I don't have time to talk about it this morning, but um, there's an immense power in understanding your value. In fact, your emotional maturity is anchored in you having freedom to love yourself. Relational maturity is you having freedom to be loved because you know that you're worth being loved and you're worth belonging. There, there is tremendous value. In fact, if you have no sense of your value, your growth and maturity in the Lord is gonna be diminished because the Lord valued, valued you so much, he made you in his image and then he gave everything to come after you. We have to be anchored in everything we do in a deep understanding of our value. But if that value then taps into selfish ambition and vain conceit, it's gonna destroy community. But if it's tapped into the beauty of the gospel, now, since I know my value, it gives me freedom to give you more value. This is impossible. I'm just gonna tell you. I just, I, it's just, I could talk about it all day and give you all kinds of clues and tips and how-tos, but I'm just gonna tell you it's impossible. It's impossible to value other people more than yourself. It's impossible, think about this. He said, don't think to your own interest, but also think of the interest of others. Like, think about that, how much you think about your own interests. And you're supposed to pair that with your interests for other people? It just seems impossible, which it is. And here's the beauty of the gospel. What is impossible for you is not impossible for God. Because it's impossible for you to live the Christian life. I want, you, I want to let you off the hook right now. You just cannot do it, but Jesus can. And that's why when we're face-to-face -face with the impossibility of ourselves, we run to Jesus. We run to Jesus. See, we talk about this all the time, but the gospel, the gospel is we love because we are loved. The gospel is that we forgive why? Because we are forgiven. The gospel is that we are generous. Why? Because God has generously given us so much. It's only when we're anchored in the fact that God is a giving God with a one-way love, that God's not sitting up there going, if you love me a lot, I'll love you more. God is sitting in heaven and through the work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection has set us free now into the fact that we have an endless supply of love in our lives. And to the extent we understand that, that's the extent that we love. We have been infinitely forgiven and only understanding that gives me the power now to forgive the people in my life. I have been given so much and only when I understand that do I have the power to give because that's what faith, faith, if you don't know anything else about faith, faith is this. That's faith. Yes, please, I would like another. Faith is receiving. It's faith is gimme, 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 gimme. And then when faith grows legs, here's what it becomes. Gimme, 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 gimme to you. So it says in verse two, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete. So, Let's just talk about those three things 
for just a few minutes. What is encouragement? Do you know that the, the root word for encouragement is actually courage? It means to give somebody else your courage. And the root word of courage is a Latin word, it's core, which means, it means to speak one's mind by telling all of one's heart. That the, the root of the word courage is to let yourself be found out. Think about this, that all that's right here, that courage is actually letting that come out. When Jesus moves toward us, he gives us courage to be found out. Do you know that in Revelations chapter 12, it talks about that we overcome the devil not by a cross or holy water. We overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb, what Christ did for us on the cross, and the testimony of the saints. And what is the testimony of the saints? This, this going public, that I am not and he is, that I'm a mess, but he's not a mess, that this is a lot worse than you think it is, but he's a lot better than you can possibly ever imagine. That's the testimony of the saints. I, I've been quoting Steve Brown a lot. He, if you don't know Steve, some of you are starting to read his books, which I hope he gives me a kickback on that. I don't think he will. Uh, he's a, just a, a character and a half. But in his book, A Scandalous Freedom, he says... You are really and truly completely free. Courage allows me to see that. He says, there's no kicker. There is no ifs and or buts. You are free. You can do it right or you can do it wrong. You can obey or you can disobey. You can run from Christ or you can run to Christ. You can choose to become a faithful Christian or an unfaithful Christian. You can cry, cuss, and spit, and laugh, and sing, and dance. You can read a novel instead of the Bible. You can watch television instead of praying. You are free. You are really free. And what he's saying is when Christ comes into this messy life of mine and sets me free, I don't stay free because I make good choices. I am free because he chose me. That's it. That's it. If I don't grasp that, that my Christian life is not me squeezing around Jesus and promising Jesus I'll never let you go, I hope I don't ever let you go. All those sexual sins I committed, all those thoughts I had, like, you know, I gambled last week, you know, or whatever. That if I start to believe that, that I've got to shape my life around a way to where I can keep Jesus, that is a horrible way to live. But if I understand that Jesus has a hold of me and he goes, no, no, I got you. I see you and I love you. Why don't you let other people see you? Well, it's not just courage, it's also a fellowship. Uh, well, we had time, comfort. Like, I'd love to tell you about the scientific uh, proof that comfort is a healing agent. All I can tell you is this, is when Jesus brings me comfort, I kind of understand it, but I don't want to understand it. Because when a kid smashes their finger in the door, the first thing they do is turn to mom and daddy and go kiss it. What they're saying is, comfort me, comfort me, comfort me. But as adults, when we smash our finger in the door, we go, get away from me, give me space. Give me space, I'm all right. I'm okay, no problem here, I'm all right. And we've grown out of a childlike need for comfort. And Jesus comes in and goes, no, I'm the great comforter. In fact, do you know that God calls himself the father of all comfort? All comfort. And then finally, fellowship. Hey, you're not alone. Jesus not only encourages us, he gives us courage. He not only gives us comfort, 
But he also says, I'm never going to leave you. Never. Psalm 139 says, I've searched. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Uh-oh, that's scary. You know where I, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You know my Google search history. No, that's not in the psalm. You discern my, good out, my going out and my lying down, and you're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. What is he saying? I'm not just with you. I want to be with you. I'm not just with you because I'm a God. I'm with you because I have decided to put my affection on you, the one that I adore. So that's it. When I come and drink in his courage, when I come and drink in his comfort, when I come and drink in his fellowship, I bring it to this. And it gives me the capacity to acknowledge I'm a goober. But I'm gonna try to value you more than me. And with Jesus' help, I'll grow in that. And guess what will grow with us? This beautiful community called Midtown Fellowship. So yesterday I was washing my truck. And, uh, or if you're from the north, I was washing my truck. And uh, I have a power washer and my four-year-old grandson pulled up in the car because he drives now. And uh, it's amazing. And uh, with his family, and he came running over and he saw me with this power washer. And um, do you know what a four-year-old does with a power washer? It does not wash a truck. It's just that they, he goes, I want to try it. And I'm like, yeah, go for it, man. This would be great. And uh, it was crazy. Like it was, he pulled the trigger and it blew him back and it went everywhere, everywhere and got everything wet except my truck. That's this. Paul says, I dare you to grasp how much God loves you. I dare you. Because what it's gonna do is fill you up to the full. And when you're full up with the full and it's still pouring in, what's gonna happen? Something's gonna spill out, just like a power washer. And it's gonna make a mess. It's gonna make a mess. When you're full and it's spilling out, it's gonna make a mess. And then it's gonna give you courage to go, you're a bigger mess than even the people see. And then it runs you to this place and go, but I'm gonna try to love you. And it's gonna keep, I'm gonna keep spending time in his love for me. And we create this beautiful place after the pandemic. All right, 60 seconds. Lord, uh, I don't know what you have for today. For the people sitting in this room, I know you love them. I know that you care about them. You know them by name. I pray, Father, you'd move toward them now. And Holy Spirit, would you uh, take the power of your word, this foolishness called preaching, and Lord, you would do something holy with it now um, and care, care for us as your children. In Christ's name we pray, amen.